All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E, media.ie. Hello, guys. Justin Dawson with you. Episode 55 It's been three years. Uh, it's been a lockdown, a pandemic. It's been talking to some great people in the AV industry throughout the years. And here is a special two hour special of what we covered during the past three years from the lockdown to thinking it was all about COVID-19 was all going to take two weeks of lockdown. That was the one of the funniest episodes. I think I did episode 22 or 23, both of them great episodes. Also, uh, talking about drones and talking about ransomware and conferences and Simon with his new baby boy and Simon changing job, me changing job. What a what a three years this has been. I hope you've had some great memories of listening to and if you have taken part in some of our episodes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our subscriber numbers on YouTube have gone well above the 500 subscribers on YouTube, which I'm just shocked and amazed. Um, Twitter followers are, I think, are ranging around 2,000 or so. And then our listenership figures is through the roof. And um, love the fact that we have hit into the top 10 on many occasions in the Apple iTunes uh, podcast charts, uh, both in Ireland and Australia. For some reason, Australia loves us as well. Um, thank you so much for everyone that's tuned in. Don't forget to tell your friends about this podcast. It's episode 50 of the All Things Techie podcast, a special edition looking back on the past three years of the All Things Techie podcast. Audiovisual from an Irish perspective, this is the All Things Techie podcast. It is the All Teens Techie Podcast, episode three. We're up to ooh, three. Ooh. Yeah, we thought we would give up on this, Simon, after like episode one. Now, since we got so popular in Australia, uh, yeah, that kept us going. We love you, Australia. Yeah. You're awesome. You're awesome. We're gonna we are, we're going to get into other charts as well, hopefully. No, it'd be nice to break America. Uh, break America, actually, yeah. Since we're about Ireland, maybe break Ireland. Yeah, break Ireland. <laughs> yeah, well, we are following up on like AV Magazine doing some uh, doing some articles on us and AV Tech Europe doing some articles on we us as well. Before we start and go in with the team music, I want to thank people for nominating me once more into the AV Awards. I'm in the finals again. Again? So, back tie again? Back tie again. Uh, red carpet? Red carpet. Maybe maybe no Kieran this time, unfortunately. Wine and dined. Wine and dined. But I, I'd better actually take Jen for... for one episode. Shall we get into the program? Go for it. All Things Techie Podcast, brought to you by two tech junkies, Justin Dawson and Simon Lang. For more, visit www.allthingstech.ie for all things techie. We are also actually playing around with uh, doing live streaming of our program and doing it as uh, a video on YouTube as well, so uh, where you can see our ugly mugs. Good. Uh, that is that's good. It's great I, fun. I think our rating is going to drop now. How you got involved in audiovisual? Was it always your main interest? What would you be doing instead? And um, what tips you have for the future of uh, 
people that's coming into audiovisual. Uh, so let's start off with yourself, Joe. Um, how did you get involved in audiovisual? Originally went to the University of Southern California um, for the recording engineering program, which is considered the best in the world. It's been ranked that way for decades. And, um, but I just happened to find a professor who I absolutely loved and I had done a lot of mixing and live mixing uh, for a lot of uh, uh, very popular bands and had gophered at a number of the uh, different uh, sorry, record recording studios throughout uh, LA. And so it just it bored me to go through all the, you know, the, the theory classes and the music theory classes. So I ended up finding a professor I love, got my degree in philosophy, and then I ended up getting my master's in applied biblical studies and my PhD in uh, technically theology at church production. So I ended up taking, you know, my 25 years in the entertainment industry, which is where I really made all my money uh, in the business development side of the entertainment industry and kind of combined that full circle. So I am Krista Bender and my current position is a, I am a client services manager um, for Pivot Communications. Um, so my name's Jonathan Owen. Uh, I work for the University of Warwick. I'm the service owner for learning spaces and collaborative environments. Yeah, so my, I'm James Scott and um, I'm currently a, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, events and digital media te technical specialist. <laughs> well, the first time around in college, I studied mostly general studies and uh, a lot of arts and science. I did a lot of pottery. Um, and no, I wasn't a fan of the movie Ghost, but I did a lot of pottery uh, first time around. And then uh, I took a break and started working full time. And then I got into AV because my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he was in AV mm -hmm. and he knew of a position that was opening up at a company. So I went and applied and I started working at an integrator in uh, the inside sales department there. Um, so. I worked there at that integrator for 10 and a half years. And while I was there, got, you know, various manufacturer certifications, got my CTS. And then um, I left that integrator to go work for another integrator for a few years. And um, now I am working for a marketing uh, company that focuses on the audiovisual industry. Well, actually, I came from the theater background. Okay. So I, so I, um, all through the school, I was a sort of the theatre drama technician all through school. And then um, at college, I did a, a BTEC high national diploma in theatre technology. Mm -hmm. And then went to a, after that, I went to a, um, a drama college where I did a Bachelor of Arts in lighting design. Right. So I thought I'd be a lighting, lighting technician and, or designer for either the stage or concerts or drama drama shows stuff i didn't really study anything so i didn't actually end up going to university at all okay. so, so i drifted into audio visual um so i finished college uh i went traveling for a few months to figure out what i wanted to do um came back needed to earn some money um and got a job as a kind of conference assistant doing av at a conference center so that was my kind of introduction to the av industry um Found I quite enjoyed it because it's quite varied and you got to play with lots of technology. Um, always quite liked technology. Used to play guitar in a band and different things like that. Um, but yeah, really just stumbled into it by accident at the very beginning. Right. So the church that I had been around needed a tech director. 
So I went in one day and basically, you know, had started dating a girl, got a fiance and basically a job in the same day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and just turn, ended up turning, place. My, you know, turning my business down, closing it, and then becoming a tech director at a, one of the larger churches down here in Orange County. And, uh, and it was then that while I was, you know, overseeing that, and there was a big upgrade going on at that time, some new direction, and we were putting in a lot of new technologies, that I realized that when you're working in a church, your job is bigger than being AV. Because I would have a lot of volunteers who would work with me on the weekends, right? And then they would come to me and say, what did the pastor mean by X, Y, Z? And I was thinking, um, oh, that's the pastor. Well, that's yeah, 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 no, I'm just the same guy. <laughs> um, but that, that's what made me recognize that, wow, I, I have a job with a purpose now. Mm-hmm. And the purpose isn't just a paycheck. Well, at the time when I was going to, to college, the first time I was, um, I was torn. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a teacher. And then I switched over to sports medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then obviously I, I did neither of those. And then um, when I went back to school the second time to get my bachelor's, I focused on uh, getting a degree in organizational leadership because I figured whatever I did, then that would kind of, you know, run the gamut. So it's still not quite AV or technology focused, but I figured that that degree would serve me better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that AV was really a, um, a job or an industry because um, I don't recall my high school having like an AV club. Like a lot of people say their high schools had that and oh, yeah. we didn't have it. So I wasn't aware. And we still had, blackboards and overhead, you know, projectors that they would bring in on the carts. So I knew what AV was, but um, not to what it is, you know, currently. I did the the first ever, well, I did the original CTS when it came to the UK, which was Infocom back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I did CTSD, um, the first course in the UK, and failed, actually, <laughs> interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, I probably took that a little bit too early in my career. Um, but generally, as opportunities arose at kind of Warwick, I'd, I'd take any training, whether it was manufacturer training, hands-on. Um, but I guess the, the vast amount of experience I gained was actually on the job, working with techni- technicians and colleagues um, and just getting stuck in. From the university, really, before then, it was just sort of learn on the job type stuff. And then once at the university, I got a good good manager adam harvey who's sort of quite quite keen and he's sort of got me through some of the evixa courses Mm -hmm. and then that was sort of leading up to the cts and and you've completed your cts haven't you yes that's correct yeah Yeah. Yeah. so so what's next on the are you gonna aim for d or i with the cts well there's a possibility of going towards the eye mm-hmm. yeah yeah wait and see it's very hard when you you have a, a small family and you say yeah i'm going to do this eye and then you open up the book and go actually maybe that was a bad idea no, i'll just park it over there underneath my coffee <laughs> yeah. cup for for a week yeah. long. Uh, I am Chuck Espinosa, the mad sound guy i am a senior staff instructor here at avixa and uh, the way I got into this, it's kind of the, the crooked road. Um, when I was in high school, I was a musician, and that was the thing that I liked to do. And uh, as well as being a musician, I wanted to be a on-the-road musician. So I took a bit of uh, advice from somebody that said, if you want to do it, do it. 
So I went on the road. I joined uh, at a very young age. I joined the musicians union. I was uh, 15 and uh, uh, performing musicians in uh, performing musician in the union. I was uh, I put in for a, a spot to do cable rolling and just basic, you know, uh, stagehand stuff at 15. Uh, couldn't do a lot because I was still underage, but I, I, uh, I did what I could. And I learned a lot on the, in the summers, went on tours and whatnot and uh, learned the proper way to roll a cable, learned what that cable plugs into. And that was step one. Mm-hmm. Um, when I left high school, I, I was not going to college. Uh, I was very poor and, you know, I, my family was a, a lot of military people and the big thing was joining the military. And it was also the time of desert shield and desert storm. So there was always that calling of, you know, uh, your father was in the military, your grandfather was in the military, your uncles were in the military. It's a thing to do. So I did. And, uh, what I didn't know was, uh, when you get there, they ask you a bunch of questions and they keep you up real late in the Marine Corps. They, they really try and run you through the paces and they asked me if I played an instrument. I said, yes. So they, uh, halfway through boot camp, I go down and audition and, um, they came and said, Hey, you know what, that you're great that you want to help out your country and your nation, but you could play music. You have a gift that not everybody has and you could motivate people. And in the Marine Corps, you still have to go out to the field and do all this stuff that the, the, you know, the infantry Marines do. You have to go on deployment, et cetera, et cetera. I think in the Marine Corps now, it's actually a mandatory thing that you have to do a deployment once every four years at the okay. very minimum. So got into the Marine band, uh, went through the school, came out, went to my band and uh, I was playing guitar in the rock band. And in the Marine Corps, what they did with the audio engineer is they picked somebody who wasn't in the rock band. So they got like a clarinet player, a French horn player at the time. And they put him behind the console and said, run it. And that would be like taking anyone off the street and putting them behind a console and saying, go. Yeah. And not only that, Chuck, we know as AV folk, you get a clarinet player behind a mixing desk. They don't know how to, to balance out the bass drum or something like that on a, on a mixing desk. Yeah, well, not if, if they haven't been trained. If you haven't been trained in anything, like if you, you could put me on a, a, a underneath a Ferrari and I'm a pretty good mechanic. I work on my Hummer all the time, but I don't know a feather duster from a duck's butt when it comes to a Ferrari. Right. right. So I would mess it all up. I'd, and I'd be like, I, I don't know. Yeah. So I respectfully asked the Sergeant that was behind the console. I've had a little bit of training. Do you mind if I tune that up? And he said, please do. Um, that was the beginning of me never playing again because <laughs> Uh, they found out that I had knowledge of live sound, of electrical, of recording, stuff like that. That was very much needed. Mm-hmm. So I kept uh, um, kept doing that and going from band to band and doing sound and training sound techs. And uh, when I finally I got to Quantico, they said, do you want to train sound guys? And I said, yes, I do. So they gave me a little school. Um, at the same time, I was also a marksmanship instructor. They found out that I could shoot really well. and um, I went through instructor training, just any basic instructor training, you know, how to, how to present, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, so I put the two together. So I spent part of my time as a marksmanship instructor training Marines, how to shoot part-time training sound guys and going on the road with the band doing recordings. Um, after that got out of the Marine Corps, you know, they found out that it's cheaper to make 
sound guys or get sound guys out of the house. So they want to try that for a little bit. They actually, I talked to a lot of guys now and they ended up making part of it at the school of music where we go to basic training for the army, the Navy and the Marine Corps, uh, basic musician training. There's classes now for sound guys. So it kind of took off, uh, especially for the Marine Corps. Um, got out and didn't know what I was going to do. I could shoot and do sound. So um, started doing live sound for bands around and traveling around. And uh, at one point in time, my uh, now ex-wife said, you, you know, you got to get a real job. You just can't be a sound guy your whole life. We need insurance. You need a 401k, et cetera. That's, that's a great line that we're going yeah. to use as a quote in, in, this, in this podcast. You can't yeah. get a real job. Sound engineering is not a, sound technician is not a real job. Yeah, little did I know, right? So, I mean, I thought it was a real job. I had a lot of fun doing it and made good money. Um, although I worked Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. And like the rest of it was just having fun, getting gear together and building racks. I didn't think that was work. That was actually just fun. Yeah. Don't tell anybody that now, though, because they won't pay me for that anymore. It doesn't matter what you do in AV, in anything, in life. Uh, give it your all. Do it to the best of your ability. If you're going to shovel poop in a horse stable, be the best poop shoveler there is. If you're going to clean toilets, clean, be the best toilet cleaner. Uh, if you're going to build rocket ships, be the best rocket ship builder there is. Bricklayer, cement pour, carpenter, study, and not just brag on the things you did. Figure out what you could do better every single day because uh, we have a short lifetime on this earth. So if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. And that includes if you're going to be a good husband, if you're going to be a good father, if you're going to be a good policeman, do it. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be times when you're going to have to be a father and a husband and a, a worker all at the same time. You know what? Give your all. Give 100% to everything because your kids will remember the five minutes that you spent with them giving 100%. And your wife will remember the two hours that you spent with her giving 100%. And your job will remember this, however much time you spent giving 100%. I'm sure it made worldwide coverage that London Heathrow and London Gatwick Airport were closed down while drones were spotted close to air, um, to planes rather um in the in the sky and it, it the whole airport just after christmas went into complete and utter shutdown with no planes flying uh simon do you think this type of stuff could happen in ireland oh easily yeah i think our, our irish airports are probably even less secure from that point of view compared to the uk and um, because ireland is seen as not our biggest target for terrorism and all like that and hmm. um, but uh, I know that you, in the UK they can introduce lots of technology of like jammers and radio jammers and all like that around the airports just to try and get the drone down mm. and then to find out who it was. So, uh, but saying that Ireland has probably a lot more technology in that field than we realize. And I heard a long time back that like the Irish Army are one of the leaders in um, communications mm. um, in Europe when it comes to, to that kind of technology. So you never know, Ireland might have better technology in place we just don't realize it 
Jack, thank you for joining us. Um, it's a very hot topic at the moment, and I say you're out the door with, with, with requests for training. Yeah, it's definitely been busy um, over the last um, couple of months, uh, especially after all the incidents there in UK. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally, over the time, we always had a lot of students, and it's been, uh, it's been kind of busy always, <laughs> so that, that's always good for us. Yeah. Now, talking about the incidents, how, how did it happen? Like, we, we did say that, like, can they not make drones so that if they enter airport areas, that it immediately sends an alert back to the pilot or the drone owner and said, hold on, you are flying into air-restricted spaces when not allowed to go there? Well, the technology already there from a uh, majority of the, the flight control software, say for the DJI or um, any of these kind of um, brands, Unique, there's geofencing already in place. So what happens is as soon as you try to take off in a, a restricted zone or an area you know, where there's um, very um, limitation set, then you can take off. And if you were to come to an area, it will actually stop flying into. Okay. So, so it's already there. The, you know, it's, um, if you're a professional operator and you have your license and all that stuff like this, then you can um, you know, fly in these areas. You can um, circumvent the software to go past it. Ah, so that, that's maybe what happened over in Gatwick and what happened over in Heathrow, that someone went past the geo fence and is it, it, without saying hack the system, is it easy to turn off the geo fencing on these DJI devices? Well, drones are not just um, straightforward um, one brand kind of, you know, majority of people fly with one or two brands. Oh, mm -hmm. There's one big brand from, it's called DJI. Okay. Now, it's, it's the easiest ones to pick up. You can pick it up at so many stores. You know, there's many um, um, hobby stores, and even big retailers starting to sell all these kind of drones. And they're the easiest ones. You can fly them literally by press of a button. Now, these ones generally have all the um, restrictions in place and all the stuff like this. But there's so many other brands that you can buy that does not have these restrictions set in. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's potentially for somebody coming and want to um, cause a hazard, um, you know, they're out to cause harm. They it, nothing's going to stop them, you know. Oh, this is or, true. Yeah, so I mean, like, we have a very good, you know, um, base of professional operators here, and even the recreational users, they're doing, you know, they know the rules and they know not to fly near airports and all this stuff like this. So these are not really the people to worry about. Mm -hmm. You know, like, even, even normally people that, that would buy the drones would buy the kind of ones from more reputable brands or, you know, most of the cases, and they will be geofence, but um, I think common sense, you know, is, is pretty good here so far. So there's no incidents like this. Uh, being, being, I suppose, being a pilot and being into aviation, you're into all sorts of aviation things. And growing up, I guess I would have, you know, read uh, aviation magazines and was interested in model aircraft and flew um, 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 model aircraft, flew them as well as built them, sorry. And uh, just naturally then as drones came out, I was always interested in technology, always interested in in flying and now drones were up and running and I got into drones I was able to combine the kind of aviation experience then with my uh, kind of passion for flying these little model aircraft and drones and uh, create what ultimately became safe drone I started off originally just doing kind of um, flying drones for businesses that needed the, this new uh, aspect that uh, drone uh, video and photography could bring to their businesses I had a bit of skill, I had a bit of knowledge and uh, got into just doing aerial video and aerial photography and um, got into modeling and 3D surveying. And as you could do more and more drones, um, 
I did more and more with the with the drones that I could do. But I always had that background in aviation, and I was an instructor pilot as well. So I had that uh, instructional uh, knowledge and background. And the Irish Aviation Authority knew about me, and they approached me to see if I could do some flight tests for them initially. Right. Uh, they have a flight test. Um, uh, uh, they have a syllabus of training to get your permit and I became what's referred to as a flight test examiner with them and then got into a bit of uh, instructing with an old uh, school called ORPAS Training International, ORPAS being remotely piloted aircraft systems and then branched out on my own to create kind of safe drone and uh, uh, out of I brought in a partner then, uh, Theodore Prince, ultimately to help me because it got it got very very busy you know i can imagine i can imagine so because it is getting now i've seen a lot from my audiovisual background i'll go over to integrated systems europe ISE in amsterdam you see these massive drones that maybe are 20 30 000 euro that they can fly three or four kilometers away and it, it, it then uh, the likes of uh, some of the drone companies over in Amer uh, America and across Europe, they're saying, OK, you need to go off and get a license. Now, I see on your page, you're a, a member of the European Aviation Safety Agency who has created, as I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, 2017, this act to say that it's across Europe now. You have to have a drone licensed if you're going to have a drone up in the air. Yeah, well, the European Aviation Safety Agency is is basically in the Irish Aviation Authority regulates aviation matters in this country, okay. and the European body uh, that does the equivalent it would be EASA, the European Aviation Safety Agency. So anywhere that EASA don't regulate, the national national authorities must regulate. Okay. Uh, currently. Um, the EASA didn't have, uh, the European regulator didn't have regulations for drones below 150 kgs. So the Irish Aviation Authority had to fill that gap. Okay. But last year in September of last of 2018, as it, it is now, uh, the, the piece of regulation that created EASA, the European Aviation Safety Agency, was updated that gave them a new mandate, that gave EASA a mandate then to regulate drones uh, below 150 kgs. Okay. And that, uh, as I said, that piece of regulation is now in place in September and uh, they now have the mandate to regulate drones, but they haven't br yet brought out their regulation, which we're expecting uh, possibly um, as early as April 2019, but certainly within the year of 2019. Now, it's not something that they've just started working on since last September, because they had the mandate they've known for a long time they're going to get this mandate as far back as 2014. Wow. And they've been working on, they've been working on um, various uh, notices of proposed amendments that they put out to industry and uh, within Europe. So there's been and there's been a lot of uh, consultation with industry and with the players in the European market. Uh, so the regulation for drones is pretty much set. It's just a matter of getting it actually out and signed off as a, as a legal piece of um, uh, documentation, you know. So currently we run a two day ground school okay. uh, we run it every month. Uh, sometimes we run it twice a month. We do weekend courses, we do midweek courses, 
Uh, it's two days with us, two full days, 14 hours nearly each day. Um, or sorry, 14 hours of lecture over, uh, over uh, the two days. And um, uh, once you've got two days of training done, you go away, you do a little bit of preparation for your flight test, pass the flight test, and we'll stamp and sign all your paperwork. You then make a personal application to the Aviation Authority who will then issue your permit. And then your permit allows you to do the things that the regulation doesn't allow you to. I said to you earlier on, like visual line of sight, you must maintain visual line of sight with your drone, okay? Now, if you want to operate beyond visual line of sight, there's no permit. The permit doesn't give you beyond visual line of sight permission, okay? So you can't ordinarily do that. And that's an area, that's an example of an area that say that it was something you wanted to do, that you would then approach the aviation authority and go, look, I want to do this beyond visual line of sight operation. I won't be able to see the drone. I've done my risk assessment. I've done, these are all my mitigating actions. You think this is okay? And they may or may not stamp and approve that particular flight. And today we're talking with Stephen Ashby. Stephen is the Technology Manager of Operations at Involved Visual Collaboration uh, based in Kent in the United Kingdom. Uh, it was Steve's birthday and he had some weird and wonderful birthday presents from his kids. I have been sworn to secrecy on what presents he got. Uh, but if someone was to pop a beer in front of myself and Steve off mic, we probably will tell you the story. How did you get involved in the world of audiovisual? Um, by mistake. By mistake. Great answer. Moving on. Next question. <laughs> Come on. Tell us the... uh, no, I was, I was 16. Um, I, I, I broke my arm sort of quite severely in my GCSE years at school. It took about a year in total for it to heal. Uh, several operations and whatnot. So all took me, my, my grades sort of slipped. I was massive IT buff and I wanted to go into IT. But of course I wanted to go on. Uh, college didn't have the grades in the end to get on. The grades were okay, but they weren't the, the A's for the advanced course that I wanted. So um, subsequently, the course I went on, the next level was the the first week was learning how to turn on and off a PC, and, and I sort of like can't be doing this. So I sort of slipped into a way of doing um, working at Woolworths back in the day, oh, yeah. um, and I was sort of skipping oh. college to go work at Woolworths until one day uh, the, the the college phoned up and said. Um, Look, maybe best spoke to my mom. That's what they did in those days, and said maybe be best suited uh, in a work work based uh, training scheme. Um, and my mom sort of went, "Yeah, okay, where?" And I went, "Well, we've got two choices. There's an apprenticeship in which you'll receive about hundred pounds a week, mm -hmm. uh, working for a car rental company doing IT, or there's Warwick University. All right. um, but it's fifty pounds a week." And mom turned around and went, "I'll go to Warwick University." Um, I was like, yeah, thanks for that. And I think at that age, 16, you're like, well, I want the extra 50 quid a week. Yeah. But um, no, it's one of the best things she's ever done for me. You know, one of the best things she ever uh, did for me. Um, and I went along thinking I was going to work for IT services, and it was audiovisual services. Oh, super. And the story started there. For anyone that's new and coming into the AV industry, what road would you tell them to take? <sighs> It's a real, it's a real difficult one, um, because I think there'll be somebody in every single area of AV that will tell you, no, no, that's that's going to die. That that's 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 dead horse. 
And to be honest with you, at the moment, I'd say follow your passion. Mm -hmm. Follow what interests you. Ask questions. Always ask questions. Don't be afraid to learn from your mistakes. I don't think there's any of us that have learned by not making mistakes. Um, however, try and just limit them to the once. Um, and just be open to, to the fact that it, it can be a brutal industry. Um, you've got to commit to it. And if you don't commit to it, then unfortunately, it's probably not the, not the career for you because you're not going to get anywhere easily. Uh, but ultimately, the rewards well, the rewards are worth it, and it's a great. When you look at your customers, and, and again with Involve, that's, that's been a real passion of mine. Our, our customers, and you see what the difference you make, mm -hmm. um, then then you know you're doing the right thing. You made the right decision. Uh, I, I haven't always done this. Let's, let's, let's start with saying that I've I've, I've not really done uh, AV for my entire working career. Uh, when I first started, I I worked for for British Steel. I was out in industry. Oh wow! So uh, that is a, that is a different one. Now the one that I'm I'm looking forward to doing, I have to say to all our listeners, is Mark Coxon, aka AB. <laughs> he used to be a vet, and he studied veterinary. So we're going to get Mark on in the next week or two to tell us how he went from veterinary <laughs> into the world of audiovisual. I think I think no one beats that story. That, that that's going to be really different. So yeah, that's uh, that's going to yeah. be very very um, you, interesting. You went steel, okay? Yeah, so I was the uh, British Steel. They they don't do this anymore, but I was a British Steel um, engineering placement student. Okay. So when I when I started, so I actually started in mechanical. Okay. So, uh, I uh, when I first started training, I was looking after huge. Um, motors. So, and, and looking after the internals of great big motors through all the engineering departments in British Steel, and ended up in. So I, I ended up uh, in the right place at the right time, just as they they were getting their IT service going. Okay. Uh, so I ended up looking after and putting in all the network infrastructure in all the buildings. Okay. Right. Uh, and I gradually drifted. In and then I went and set up um, a conference centre for for British Steel. Um, right. I, I ended up being well. You're quite you, you do some techie things. Make this thing go, and that's right. how I ended up in in AV. So right. So and how many years? Are, or are you going to tell us how many years ago that was? Oh my God! I started in British Steel in 1991. Right. So. Yeah, not that long ago, says the guy that like thinks that <laughs> 1991 was two two years ago. Yeah, no, in, in, in IT terms, it was a lifetime away. Mm -hmm. um, my, my, when I first started doing it, the data logging that we used in, in British Steel was actually done on ArcNet. Wow. It was that old. We, we used ArcNet for you know, token ring type architecture. So... Uh, I put, I put the first piece of um, fiber in an industrial setting in the whole of Wales. Now, I didn't work as a vet, but I, I, was, uh, I was going to school to become a veterinarian. Yes, that was my, that was my goal at some point. Okay, lead, um, lead me through this. <laughs> so it, it was interesting because I, I always wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and when I went to school, 
I, I was in this interesting quandary in that Arizona doesn't have veterinary schools. Right. And so when I went to college, they said, well, you can go to agribusiness or you can go to biomedical engineering. And those would be your two paths to do pre-vet here in Arizona. And so I chose biomedical engineering at first. So I actually started out um, in that core, which is crazy and doing like all sorts of weird math, like Diffie-Q and numeric equations and linear algebra, which is negative space and black hole. It's like Star Trek kids are in the class. That's like what it is, right? It's just a bunch of- Okay, okay. And like, like had you that interest in like your young teenage years of all that? Were you, were you the nerdy kid at the back of the room or at the front of the room rather? You know, I, I was always really great at school and I loved, I loved like anatomy and I loved, I loved, I deer hunted as a kid and all those things. So it's kind of my own person. I wasn't really um, a geek at the back. I didn't, I'm, the weird part about me is I didn't take apart, you know, radios and I wasn't playing with computers and I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. So I wasn't doing programming and things like that as a kid. Um, you know, I was Thai boxing. So I was doing Muay Thai kickboxing. I was deer hunting with my dad. I was working on a ranch with my friends um, because so in order to be- So this has been since you were a kid. So, yeah, I started that when I was 17. Wow, okay. So, so that's been a while, but yeah, the, I mean, a lot of my time was actually spent working on a ranch because I wanted to be a veterinarian in a zoo. Mm -hmm. And in order to be a veterinarian in a zoo, um, it's very hard to get that position and they want um, husbandry experience because zoos all have breeding programs. Right. Zoos are all about reintroducing species to the species to the wild, or or uh, repopulating things, or you know helping endangered species get back on their feet. And so they wanted people that had been involved in those things. And so that's why I worked on a ranch and pulled calves and all those kind of things, so that I could get some experience in the real world with uh, you know delivering babies and and. Uh, breeding animals and things like that. So I think we're at a point as an industry where if you're a smart young person willing to work hard, I don't think it matters. You know, I don't think color, sex, any of that stuff matters anymore in this world. And I think if you, if you want an open door, um, if you get into some of those communities where there are like-minded people like that, I feel, I really feel like Chris's AV in the AM community. I feel like the audiovisual industry professionals group, there's a couple out there. Um, I feel like those are places where people are hoping to connect people. Let me see. I was 19. My dad was uh, on the property committee for his church and there was, he was overseeing getting a new PA system installed. Um, so a, a local Edinburgh company called Northern Lights, which a fair few folk will have heard of, I'm sure, because uh, they were quite a, quite a big company in their day. Um, one of their project engineers was leading that one. So my dad asked them, do you have any jobs going for a guy who's wasting his life working for B&Q? <laughs> <laughs> so I got a name to write away to. I uh, wrote off and didn't hear back for about six months. And eventually the, they were at a point of where they were recruiting technicians. Um, so I went down for an interview and a little soldering test. And, and then that was me. So that was my upbringing into the industry was, was in a good size integrator. And I think the opportunity for, for you to see lots of different aspects of the industry um, from a technology perspective, uh, is is a is a pretty good chance, and you know to to deal. You know you'll be dealing with clients and that kind of thing. You know, so you get that relationship building and stuff with different clients, and you know return custom and stuff like that. Um, I think I mean it it I think it stood me in fairly good stead. So I would I would suggest that's not a bad shout for someone else. This is the All Things Techie Podcast, Episode Twenty One. 
the most crazy podcast and most live uh, people in our podcast that we've ever actually ever had because we are talking all about the topic of working remotely and um so if we're gonna like actually say that if anyone has any babies that walk into the room covers pets that walk into the room that is perfectly and utterly allowed because we are demonstrating that number one working remotely is number one number two it is that working remotely is sporadic and like <laughs> we've seen we've seen the clip of the british sports oh and of course like even even chris ringing a bell there in the background as well um but it, it's also we've seen the clips of the british broadcasting corporation bbc and like even on live news television where kids have been pulled out of and even like that that's, that's my back door and there's 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 my four month old babies being introduced to to the podcast um, look, look, I love the mohawk. That is adorable. I know. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just like the hair isn't even growing at the moment. But uh, and then my other toddler son, thankfully, is asleep at the moment. But he did join Daddy uh, this morning when we are in lockdown. As as of recording this podcast, uh, all higher ed, all primary schools, all secondary schools, all museums in Ireland are in shutdown mode. Apart from this is this is the interesting thing because it's Great Britain, and Noel will give me some comments on this in a minute. Yep. No, you're not in lockdown, and neither is Northern Ireland. So, like, if you are sitting on the border of Northern Ireland, and um, your kids could be in the south going to a school and they could be off but yeah you're still working if you're in the northern ireland at the moment but no why isn't england following suit to ireland we we, we we know we stand on our own feet right so we'll make the right decision a few months after everybody else has made the right decision <laughs> um and then and we'll just get it all sorted so uh, you know seriously at the moment um it is quite a bit of panic over here there's a lot going on everybody's worried about it um Nobody really knows what's going on. Nobody knows the proper answer. There's all the social media stuff that's telling you everybody's going to get it and it's all going to end. You've got to get a load of toilet paper. Uh, yeah, it's out of stock. You, <laughs> you, you would want to see the shops yesterday. So I, I literally was actually working remotely yesterday for half the day. And then uh, the, the news came out from our Irish government uh, and our TikTok, as we call him. Well, he's over in America. I love that. Like, he, he was supposed to be over to give Trump a bowl of shamrock. And they, the only reason he went over to America is to give him a bowl of shamrock. And it doesn't actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, cheers for that, guys. Thanks for costing us a couple of extra million when we're going to be like in a recession probably because of this COVID 19. But for Justin, our... don't make me prove you wrong again. It's not going away in a week. Politicians here I'm telling you, we don't have sports anymore. They, sports is pretty much canceled. Uh... Somebody's got to, you know, take up the comedy bit and occupy our time. So that's what we got politicians for. My, uh, my son, when he was like, three uh, he was young he was about three because my daughter had just been born uh we made the mistake of letting him play at one of those uh we were in a clothing store for kids and they had like a lego set up or whatever and he he played and you know we did not pay attention to what he was doing two days later he's in the uh 
we basically had to take him to the hospital with the rot rotavirus. Oh and my God. Rotavirus, uh, but this was before the shot. Uh, he was still yeah. young. And of course, the next year they came with it. And rotavirus is pretty much, and it, it's, it's nothing is staying inside. Everything's coming out like liquid. Uh -huh. it, it, at one point, and my wife will, thinks I'm nuts. I, I did not know what to do. I'm like, diapers can't hold this. I, right. I blue tarped my, like a painter's tarp. Right, I rolled a plastic tarp out in the living room. I, I sat him down. I'm like, if there's a leak, we're, we should be okay. I think I can get some traction on a bumper sticker for my generation that says, been prepping for this since Y2K. You got the improved data speeds at home, which allow a, a lot of us to come home. You got better uh, software and codec that allows, you know, uh, this call here did not, could not really happen a handful of years ago. Oh, absolutely. you got five people on a call without an M without some sort of MCU attached to it, and not the Marvel, you know, cinematic universe for the people that may not be familiar with our jargon. MCU is a is, is, is a music. <laughs> Just want to clarify that. Thank you for some uh, for some uh, enlightening horror music. All right, I, I, I may go make it. Don't play that, dude. I may go go set my microwave and go or make a sandwich while I wait for that thing to connect. Yeah, it's like an automatic, that's like the Pavlovian type of, uh, of trigger for us older folks or Gen Xers. You hear that go and you automatically run to make a sandwich because you're not connecting to the internet. Anytime. Chris, let, let, let's just even add to that and just go, at the moment, every kid in Ireland is, well, Southern Ireland anyways, is at home and they're not allowed outside the house for most of the parents, unless they're going to toy shops like we discussed. But they're on their PlayStation 4s, they're on their Xboxes, they're going to be bringing down the internet. Really stir the pot here, guys. <laughs> Why has none of these tech fests been made virtual? Hello, we have so many virtual environments. Hey. Hey, 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 wait a minute here. Wait a minute. I know one, yeah. I, I know one that, has, <laughs> that, was, that was virtual before it was cool. Yeah, but Joe, you're cheap. Isn't there a special edition coming up? Yeah, yeah we have a special edition Monday. 11 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, I'm going to be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, no, it, uh, jump inside. Like, you, you look at so many different press conferences and whatever, and you just say, why aren't all these things done online? Why can't people show us tech I mean, online? So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, not as easy as you say, right? though. I mean, right? You, you say, why haven't they gone online? There's a lot of press to that. Sure. Could you actually run yeah, it's a, fine uh, with it. I just kind of want to hear the family thing go. I, I just want, I, I, I also want to find out what Adam's doing with his family at the moment. That's, that's cool. um, just waiting, waiting. No, but I, I think that you say that, but it's not easy to take all those vendors and say, now take what you've been planning and you've spent a lot of money thinking about how you want your booth experience and now just bring it online. You, yeah, it, it, that's true. Yes, it's possible, but not in the same way. Right. And as opposed to, you know, just doing some type of product release video or, you know, a white paper that it's very different. So while it says, yes, can we just throw them online? You could, but what kind of impact and is that really what the company wants as, you know, their messaging and their branding, they're going to be better off doing something themselves. Like I said on Avian the AM, if you have a little Crestcon or an Xcron, you know, they, they can do their own thing if they need to, should, you know, for whenever, you know, Infocom ends up being held and if it's pushed back or whatever, or, um, 
Well, you know what we miss out on? We miss out on all the networking and all the drinking. That's that's and all the food. That's that's the biggest thing that we would and the swag. Don't forget and the, the continuing education. It's all about <laughs> the continuing education. Continuing yes. education. That's it. Yeah. Here's the real thing. I booked my anniversary uh, vacation this year in November, Mr. Dawson, to Ireland with my wife. Oh. So will I be be able to go have a beer with the former? Uh, <coughs> AB Nation winner. Technically, <laughs> information. Chris will back me up on this. We can't. We can't go for an award after winning it, can we, Chris? No. You got three. You got three of us here now. I know all three of them on one call. What is? And we're not that? on AV Nation's podcast. What kind of? I love when y'all humble brag. Y'all are so cute. <laughs> I've been. Um, I, he has the most amount of trophies that like he needs to build a second shelf at home. <laughs> well, man. Tell, tell us about like your day. Um, you're over in England. Um, any any news of schools closures or anything like that? Uh, I mean, <laughs> part of my expression: people are losing their shit over here. Yeah. Well, literally. Yeah. Where, yeah. Are literally. Where are you? Uh, I'm actually on the school run right now. I run it up. I'm sat in the car. I have my stepdaughter at home. She's been at home all day. So, um, yeah. Uh, schools are talking about closures. Uh, I heard uh, a nurse earlier saying to another mum that apparently there's, in West Sussex, which is the county I live in, uh, apparently there's been 60 unreported cases of fevers in secondary schools that haven't been dealt with. Oh, so, wow. No, people yeah, are losing their shit over that. That's yeah. the problem I had yesterday and lace all the crap out of my kids when they walked in, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and it was because rumors, rumors and all that is also kind of crazy. So, Mike Slammer, hello, welcome to the it's, show. This is uh, this is awesome. I saw the I saw the, the the little Zoom thing that was posted on Twitter and thought it was cool to see everybody in real time for a change. Now, now that is a, that's a cool background, Mike. Sharing, um, guys. Yeah. Now, Mike, has things gone into lockdown where you are? Sure. So uh, for those who don't know, I'm one of the AV engineer leads for Discovery Channel. Uh, and we just got a notification that it's official. Our building is going to be shut down through March. The rest of Where are y'all located? Where is Discovery Channel located? Uh, we are global. So all offices are going to be closed. All offices. Are wow. 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 Can, I ask, can I ask a question? Yeah. Of that? Does that mean that there's no, like the doors are shut or can you guys like, I was a former end user tech manager for many years. So when the company closed, it was an opening for me to go, you know what, I'm going to get into all these rooms, reboot all the codecs, do some quick updates, do some updates. Hey, the boardroom is finally going to be available. Do you have access to spaces or you're talking everything's getting shut down. They're spraying everything. They're bubble wrapping it. And we'll go back in a couple of weeks. That is a great point. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, questions surrounding what it will mean for business critical users. Uh, right now, because we do also, you know, we're TV, we have TV channels and broadcasts to manage, you know, anyone, you know, on the broadcast teams are still, you know, expected to be staggering. Uh, the IT and the AV teams respectively are staggering our office hours. Uh, so if there is something mission critical that we need to be on site for, the expectation is like, yeah, you know, 
please be on site and handle it. Uh, other than that, though, the directive from our leadership is don't worry about it. Just stay safe. Ben, where are you driving to, Mum? Uh, I'm actually going to go and rescue my father-in-law who's broken down. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I just literally connected on my computer. My wife's like, can you go pick my dad up? I was like, what do you mean? Like, he's broken down. I was like, I literally am just joining a Zoom call, babe. She's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, doing it from the car, that's fine. I, I love it. I love it. This is this is why we we do this podcast because we don't know what's going to happen next. And last time we had Graham in the car collecting his kids, you know. This time we have Graham. <laughs> hey Justin, not to disappoint. Justin, not to disappoint. Also, to keep the tradition, say hi to Natalie. Hi. You're not going to say hi to Justin. Oh. <laughs> okay, Jason. What is happening over in? Uh, England with you guys. Um, schools closing tomorrow, I believe, but some have already started closing. Have you got your kids at home at the moment? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you um, have to have them at home at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, the government decisions to close them on Friday. Schools have closed of their own accord when they ran out of staff via self-isolation. Um, and then some parents died homeschooling before that. Um, I'm just enjoying the peace and quiet before. Just calm before the storm. It is calm before the storm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what we've been doing the, today. You know, I I have been working. I better just put out a disclaimer today to all my um, my <laughs> colleagues in UCD that I have actually been working. Okay, but my wife decides to take um, an, an aerobics class. Everyone with two meters apart. I, I, I'm telling you guys, like I'm living on a street that has about 50 plus kids on it, and all the parents are keeping their children apart. You know, now inside the house, fine, but like these these children, it was like that they've seen daylight for the first time in like over a week, nearly. They're all out. They're all literally rubbing their eyes, you know. And then they, it, we we actually drew in chalk two meters apart so they could do their little aerobics class um but it went down great and you know what all the parents started joining in why because they wanted to get their kids out of the house there was a bit of a break away from you know work remotely um but it's good and it's bad like my sister had like her my brother-in-law is working 12-hour shifts for our city council at the moment and um, so he's not seeing his children. She has three children, one a, a toddler, the other two uh, of primary school age, and she has to make her utility room um, her office. And people are just being sent home, at least with the techie folk, people are just being sent home with computers. Go go on, connect that to your internet and- Figure it out. And figure it out. It's the disaster, guys. <laughs> I like the person that set up their home office on an ironing board. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's great, man. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Necessity, the mother of invention? I, I, I'm telling you, there's going to be some great photos coming out from different places. And hopefully on this podcast, and we probably have to start up a hashtag for this, like just see what people's offices are all about. Has anyone found any hashtags going on about this? I don't know the hashtag, but I've seen some because I saw a whole thread. I like the people that have those antique liquor cabinets. They're converting those into desks, um, which looks really pretty with all the booze right in front of you and then the laptop on in front. 
is Infocom going to go ahead? Uh, the man in the know, Tim, probably knows the answer to this. <laughs> you think uh, he's going to break it? <laughs> as of right now, I mean, if I knew, I would tell you. Uh, as of right now, it is. Uh, that's the thing is, um, in my opinion, Infocom and Avixa, the folks that run it, they have until about four or five weeks out if you use the um, standard of NAB. And I would argue that NAB is a bigger show just from a, a, a mm -hmm. standpoint, right? Yeah, it's as big as NAB, I see. Yeah, NAB canceled four weeks out, all right? So, so if that's the standard of the size, a show of that size, they canceled four weeks out. Um, now, some exhibitors um, are, they ship things out a couple of weeks before that. So if they want to be nice to their exhibitors and, and conscious of that, they're, they're, it's going to be the end of April uh, is when they start shipping things out. So about six, eight, eight weeks. So you're looking at the end of April before, before if they're going to postpone it, that's when they would say. Okay. But they're, they're not being coy, Justin. No, this no. is all about negotiating um, with the convention center, right? They need leverage. And uh, I was we were uh, having a happy hour, a virtual happy hour the other day with a bunch of vipers. Uh, and uh, Kim Frank, who is with Geopath, they do the digital out-of-home uh, convention. She had to cancel theirs in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And it, you know, it cost them about $600,000. And that's a dra dramatically smaller conference than something the size and scale of Infocom. Well, it's, it's been interesting. We've seen a nearly 6,000% increase in team use in the last one. Right. Wow. So it, it's it's hugely risen just in in the last week. But yeah, we we're pretty much running running remote. So um, it's it's been a been an interesting learning curve for quite a lot of us to get get into quite quickly. But yeah, we're pretty much running. Now, at least you understand this little nugget of uh, GDPR and IT security. Um, are we going to be slammed with something from the GDPR police in a couple of months' time? Um, well, that really depends on whether or not you're doing any recordings uh, using things like Teams, um, because you need to commission the meetings in the right way. So, uh, potentially, uh, we're, we're quite lucky we've turned them off. Nice. And we're only allowing certain people to, to, to be able to do it. But yeah, you, you may face that at some point in the future. Mark, are you there? I am. Yeah. How are you guys? How are you guys? Uh, are you, is your kids at home? Are you, are you homeschooling? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely homeschooling. Well, our kids are going to go online here this week. My oldest daughter went online yesterday. Their school went online yesterday. My other two, their school goes online on Monday. So... What are the ages of yours, Mark? How old are your kids? I know one's a teenager. Yeah, so my oldest is a junior in high school. She's 16. My son is 13. He's in eighth grade. And my youngest is in fifth grade. So three different schools, two different school districts. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. And are they ready? What are they going to start using? Like, I, I'm hearing loads of different platforms uh, across the states for different elementary schools and different age ranges, but what software are they going to start using? I've seen even secondary schools here using Instagram. And I'm thinking, now, that is definitely going to uh, have cause problems with the GDPR police. Yeah, they're they're using a lot of different stuff. I mean, Google Classroom and Hangouts, obviously, is a big thing for the schools because they're already using Google Docs in the Google environment. So um, a lot of them have that, and especially, you know, my youngest is 
they're doing everything on Chromebooks. So do they Google get to take those home, the Chromebooks or no? Um, some of the schools have let them do that. Our kids didn't need to. Luckily, over the last couple of years, they've asked for computers for Christmas or birthdays or things. And so, you know, they all have laptops now. And so that has helped. Um, I know even our, you know, our churches stopped as well. So uh, my daughter's on like a core team for church for confirmation and things like that. And they're doing Zoom meetings for, for church. So I have to say, uh, I'm single mom. So I'm kind of thinking, generally, they're saying that the kids are not going to present severe. And let's hope that it is the case that, that no one's children get, get so sick. But if I'm sick and I'm out of action, they can't get to where, where we are when we're not particularly close to many shops to get food or um, and people are crazy. The, the shelves are literally empty of um, of the most random things. Um, so, well, I had I had just had my toilet roll delivered. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking worst case scenario, I'm going to be selling it. So. Um, I, I'm not worried about the toilet rolls, but in terms of food and, and, and other things, but my eldest today actually had a bit of a dip because he's now thinking he's got a really good friendship group and he's gone into school today. Um, and he said, well, mum, what if we can't actually meet? What if we can't actually um, see our friends if, if they do close the schools till September? Um, and I'm kind of trying to rein in their mental health now because the, the kids are actually my kids are very upbeat and they don't take things seriously, but I can kind of see that they're, they're starting to realize that they're going to be isolated mm -hmm. and that's just not their default setting. My oldest, uh, so he's in kindergarten, um, which is fine. And we do the homeschooling thing and it's, um, it's not bad. It's, uh, usually right around podcast time or, uh, um, you know, when I'm on Zoom conference calls and all of a sudden it's like, they want to make noise and hang out here and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Who's this person on the other end of the line? You know, hello, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you got something to give me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So starting off, how did you enter the world of audiovisual? Where did you study anything in college that led you to this path? No, not really. Um, so, I mean, college-wise, like, AV was not even a thought. I was planning to, uh, well, I always wanted to join the military. My parents were like, you're going to be a pilot, you know, if you're going to do anything. Um, and so I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona, and um, started my degree off in aviation. Um, it was called uh, Aeronautical Sciences. Um, and then... 9-11 happened and I was just I particularly didn't see the um, market coming back um, anytime soon nor did I particularly care for that pilot life um, it, which is weird to a lot of people but that was just not my thing and uh, I couldn't switch to an engineering degree because I had a scholarship at the time for a non-technical degree and then um, ended up joining the army instead, um, sat an Air Force class that everybody said, uh, or the uh, professor said, no matter what you do in the service, everybody supports the boots on ground. So I switched over to the army. Parents were pretty upset. Um, I had about a little over, little under three months to um, of leave to um, before I ended up hopping on a plane to uh, Iraq. And that's when I started working for my dad for a little while. He was like, I need extra labor. I was like, cool. And in the 
the guys I um I fell in love with their passion for AV, and I was like, there's got to be something about this. This thing. was this was while you were in Iraq. No, no, no. no. Um, oh, before so right before Iraq, um, I had some time to kill, so I had leave, and then they're like, you can't take leave there. So do you want to take your leave early? I was like, yeah, heck yeah, let's do that. Um, and then uh, my dad was like, I got some extra time or some extra um, labor needs, and I was like, okay, cool, I made some extra money. Um. So and your then, dad is in the audiovisual industry as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He owns a company in Hawaii. Okay. Um, and then uh, so yeah, it's um, I I thought it was interesting. There's a guy, um, Scott Nishihara. He was one of my mentors when it came to installing. Um, incredibly talented uh installer technician, and I wanted to get to that level, but it again, AV wasn't in my um thought you know in my head yet as far as a career and then uh i met my wife or girlfriend then um and i was like oh maybe i'll try staying like in one place you know and so um just because if we were doing something serious uh the infantry life is not a life to necessarily so it was all her fault is what it was. <laughs> yeah. all your wife's fault we could just end the conversation now that it was all your wife's fault for, for yeah. seven. i mean uh interesting few uh few months especially since we've been locked down here in ireland oh, so no. things lots of things have changed lots of things have changed right and you know i've i've been kept tight-lipped while simon has been away in the background and people have been asking where he Simon has disappeared to and I just kept on saying he was busy well he was busy listeners uh, I wasn't lying but uh, it was your news to announce so are you announcing it on this program well you've announced it on LinkedIn so I'm guessing you are yeah like so I have now joined the creative technology group of um that are across the world but especially creative technology Ireland um as part of their installation team um, to help them install some amazing projects. So I'm really looking forward to it. I've already been there three weeks and wow, um, I've seen more projects in three weeks than I've seen in the last 13, 15 years in my AV career. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'd say it was a weird feeling leaving a firm that after 15 years and doing it virtually. Yeah, like you had your kind of gone away party um, by Google call because hey that's what they use um, and it was like yeah kind of seeing everyone and everyone emailing it was all email thanks versus the going around and giving everyone hugs and shakes and it's even weird like you on a Friday you shut down the computer and that's it you wipe your work phone that's it and a courier turns up the next day uh, next, after, uh, next Monday or Tuesday clicks it and it's gone that's it yeah, well you know the way you get like presence and stuff like that when you physically leave a firm and um you know thank you cards and everything did you just send people your revolution account details and just go yeah just, uh, simon has requested tenure for each one of us <laughs> i never thought of that actually that's quite a good use of revolution we should, we should, get, a pl- we should get a plug in there for revolution right we're gonna put a paypal donation button on the bo- bottom of this video for any of your former employees that you've helped over the past 15 years that wanted like donate to the simon's kitty fund you know but like i have to remind all our listeners that simon is usually the non-drinker uh, and i I'm, I'm actually quite serious about this i know i'm gonna plug him right now joe way once upon a time on the higher education podcast says he doesn't drink and and then the photos just came out on on social media to say that uh, 
well, why, what's this in your hand? You know, but Simon, I, I think the only time I've seen you drinking was at ISE, a couple of cocktails. Simon didn't drink at my wedding as best man. He doesn't drink much anyways. So uh, this, this whole idea of like virtually leaving, there was no party really. Like I, I tried to say, right, Simon, hold up your can of Coke even when I, I <laughs> cheers him when, when it finally was his last day in PwC and moving on to CT Ireland. But virtually again, because we haven't, <laughs> Simon and I haven't even met up in, since early February even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was about that since we've actually, actually been in... this year, Simon. I don't know. That's just it. It's been one of those kind of like yeah. we've been we talk so much, it might as well be in person. To North County Dublin and Scaries, that took far too long to get here, simply because the first petrol station I went to, the petrol station was closed, so I had to go to a different petrol station in another area of North County Dublin called Balbriggan. Okay, so I'm gonna switch the camera around here. You can see that this is North County Dublin in Scaries and the sun is about to set. So 20 to 9 p.m. So I'm gonna start my walk now. So let's get this walk on the road. And uh, this is the same route that's got used for darkness into light every year in North County Dublin and Scaries. People actually kayaking out there, which I could turn around the camera, I can't. But there's people uh, kayaking out uh, on the grounds of North County Dublin here at the moment uh, in Scaries and uh, look at that full view yeah look at that full view so we're uh, gonna keep this walk up get the 5k in this actually passes by a, uh, a lovely ice cream shop and I think I'm gonna treat myself to ice cream afterwards if this place is open um, just want to give you the sunset again. Look at that for sunset. Look at that for sun. As my mobile phone battery reaches the last seven to six percent, and we're coming up to the final kilometre walk along by the coast, and uh, I'm going to just switch over, let you see the views, and finish off the 1k with you guys in a silent reflective type of way that I would usually do for darkness into light because this view I hope you will agree is quite stunning Um, might not beat Vegas with all the lights but uh, I'll give you some of a sunset and the beaches of North County Dublin and Scaries Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, don't forget uh, you can subscribe to the All Things Techie podcast by visiting www.allthingstech.ie. Um, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin or Dawson, and uh, all the details on the bottom of your screen. So, uh, coming up in episode thirty earlier on today, I caught up with the guys, uh, the ones that were on a program earlier, <laughs> earlier in the year back in March where we started talking about COVID-19 believing that it was going to be something that maybe would close down the country for about two weeks how wrong were we how wrong were we okay maybe there were some people on that panel that said no Justin this is going to go on for some time like Joe Way and other people and as the country and countries plural start reopening again we ask what's in store for av what's in store for conferences schools reopening holiday plans and more 
It's the All Things Techie Podcast, episode 30. Is it mandatory to, to wear a face mask now on public transport in England? Yeah, it is, yeah. And it's only since the 15th of July. That's oh, sorry, 15th of June. Reporting it. It's, only it's mandatory in Texas now. Right, okay. Um, what about what about creches? Is creches reopened for you guys? Are schools reopened? Have you got rid of the kids? Got rid of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my five year old's back to school now because he's in reception, so he's been back for about three weeks. Um, the nursery my little one goes to that that only just reopened, but you know because I think my little boy he finishes in two weeks' time, so we just thought we might as well just wait till September to send her back, but. It's been quite nice. It's been hard work, but it's been nice having them around, really. We are not all online, regardless of what the uh, press would like to say. Um, we are majority online, but we have a number of uh, courses that will still be held on campus uh, in some form or fashion. Um, but the students are coming back. We are encouraging people to, you know, do what you can remote just for safety's sake. Uh, but the campus is open. We're upgrading 300 and some spaces. We're already in a phase two, which is a little scary of our upgrades. So, uh, but no, it's, uh, it's exciting. We're, uh, we're, uh, we'll sleep at some point. Now, Integrated Systems Europe began life in 2004, with the first edition of the show being held in Geneva in Switzerland. It hosted 120 exhibitors and attracted 3,500 visitors. Most importantly, it laid the foundation for an unprecedented growth for the annual show over the years. Fast forward 16 years and ISE 2020 attracted more than 1,300 exhibitors and over 116,000 visits to its final edition in the Rye in Amsterdam. Now I have been at the Rye in Amsterdam a couple of times. And now, of course, the Rye in Amsterdam in the final year um, of ISE, COVID-19 was just starting and the pandemic was just hitting the waves. ISE 2020 did go ahead. It really got hit more by the weather than anything else. So we're now in a world where a lot of these conferences have been taking place virtually. We talk about Infocom that took place virtually. We talk about the AVIT Summit that happened last week that took place virtually. CES 2021, that's all going virtually. So what's hopes lie in store for uh, ISE in 2021 in its new home in Barcelona? I caught up with the Managing Director of Integrated Systems Europe, Mike Blackman, and he told me more. Check it out. Yeah, so a little really quick brief background on my career. I started off in publishing uh, with Financial Times and then with Personal Computer World magazine. And um, that dragged me into, I got, I got headhunted to go and run the Personal Computer World show in London. Uh, I grew that to become the largest attended computer show in the, in the UK, probably in Europe. No, no, CBIT was always bigger. And, um, uh, and then um, I got headhunted uh, uh, by IDG to come to Germany and launch a series of computer shows for them, including Macworld Expo, which I launched all over Europe. And then I left them and I started my own consulting business. And then I was hit hunted again. Um, you know, my old boss at IDG approached me and said, look, I've got two, three associations then who want to launch a new show in Europe. And he said, Mike, this job is made for you. 
So I said, okay, send me the info. And um, he sent it. I had a look at it. I said, well, this looks interesting. I think this could be successful. And I had an interview and uh, uh, the three uh, um, uh, executive directors said, yeah, we want you. Uh, when can you start? And um, so we started, uh, uh, we launched a company in, that was uh, a, a March, April 2003. And uh, we ran the first show in um, uh, February or January rather, 2004. Wow. So, you know, that was uh, how it all started. Um, my background has always been um, computers and communications. So I've been a tech person and a bit of a, a, a techie and I love technology. So actually coming to something like this was really, really, um, you know, made for me. And I remember the first show I went to was uh, um, in this in this particular sector was Infocom in the US and um I remember walking around that show like a little kid in a toy store, you know, just seeing all this wonderful stuff and saying, wow. So the preparation for ISE 2021 actually started much earlier because we were moving venue. So we've actually been doing work for like 24 months in preparation. Uh, but generally what we would do is start uh, the preparation in about October, November, where we start putting things in place. Uh, we're already talking to our key exhibitors about where they want to be for the following year um in uh, november so you know they've already looked at the plan they've actually said that's what we want and um uh by the time we get to february they would, they're just confirming uh, their decisions um so it's about a 15-month process mm -hmm. um it's funny because most people just see me i'm the one who gets interviewed isc is not just me i've got a team behind me of just over about 34 people I was going to ask you that, like it is, and I've met a couple of your team from the times that I've been in Munich as well. And of course, I I, I would would know some of your UK and Ireland team of of, of Vixa, Ben and Chris, and and the Vixa team. But it it the people people don't see the the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. And there's a lot. There's really a lot. And um, so they have, they, so we started with my immediate team, who are split into operations. Uh, so they handle all the logistics about actually what happens on site sales who are the interaction with all of our exhibitors and marketing who are the interaction between our attendees and our exhibitors and then we have our administration accounting etc cetera, etc cetera. and what happens is those teams then work with outside organizations so this team oh sorry let's add another part of that which is uh, avixa uh, and cedia mm -hmm. so a lot of the other stuff which goes on in training education conferences uh, the input comes from them, and there actually you find all their people on site working behind the scenes at ISE. So it's a huge, huge operation from ourselves and two associations. I've been lining up some great interviews. Earlier on, uh, we had Mike Blackman. He's going to be, uh, he was episode 33. Now we're into episode 34, and one after the other, I think, in people that I really have wanted to nail down into a conversation and under the spotlight. This show, episode 34, is Chris Nito. Chris, where do we begin? Where did you start off in this world of AV? Because you're quite a name in the world of AV. Uh, I like, to, well, do, do I have to call my mom to, to, to talk about where we began? That's a little far back. But in the world of AV, hmm, uh, I guess the world of AV started um, uh, before college. Um, I wasn't a musician. Uh, like everybody else who was in this industry. I was never a roadie. I don't have an older brother uh, where I ran sound for them. But um, I, I was a, 
I was an art kid in school, uh, in, in high school. That's what I was. I, I did art. I had this creative side to me, which was kind of cool. And I went to college for art. Um, and quickly in, in, while I was sitting in, in, in art classes, I realized that some of these studio classes were not for me because it was forced creativity. You were, you were told to come in and draw and be creative in this a lot of time. And it was tough. I would have, I would, I, I would go through like, um, you know, uh, like almost like a writer's block. I, I would just draw and they're like, that's not good enough. And it, I got upset. I got, uh, was never told that it was never good enough coming through high school. I had won art competitions and, and stuff like that uh, for stuff that I was doing. Uh, but when I got to college, it was like a smack in the face reality hit. Like now all of a sudden I'm questioning what I wanted to do with art going forward. So a buddy of mine, uh, calls me up and he goes, Hey man, uh, I'm getting a radio show. That's all right. Is this pirate radio or real radio? It was, it was campus radio. It wasn't real. Okay. So campus radio at the time was closed circuit TV. Uh, they had real radio. Uh, but I kind of liked the closed circuit radio because there was no, uh, regulation. I can say and do whatever I want. And, uh, it was fun. There was no format. We can do pick a format, do what we want. The station manager that ran it was like, hey, whatever you guys want to do. So my buddy Chris and I uh, went and uh, started up a radio show, which started off with me just playing some music. I would play a mix of alternative music and some 80s alternative and 90s stuff and stuff that I like. And we'd have, uh, I was in a fraternity, so my fraternity brothers would call and request music. And at first it was like, hey, you know, standard DJ thing. Um, eventually, uh, Chris, uh, started talking, uh, with me and me and Chris would eventually develop a talk show. Um, and that was on, uh, our campus closed circuit. And it was, we held the show on Thursday. Um, Thursday was, a, was an interesting time because everybody was getting ready to go out. Thursday night was the big college party night. So mm -hmm. we had like the five to eight slot. It was a three hour slot. And we'd go in at five o'clock and, and go till eight. And then everybody was getting ready to go out and they would go to parties at like whatever. So they turn on their TVs while they're getting ready and we would run contests. We ran kind of almost like a Howard Stern type show. It was, uh, we bring in the cafeteria ladies. We'd, uh, you know, we'd find people on the street. We'd bring them in. And Not those, those like, like pirate radio. <laughs> completely, completely pirate radio. We we do prank calls on air. Uh, we would, um, you know, uh, call people and not tell them that they were on the radio and just all of a sudden things were being said that shouldn't have been said. And, uh, after a oh, while, yeah. Uh, is this where Chris gets kicked out of college for, for, for? Well, that, that part of Chris getting kicked out of college, I did on my own. Okay. Uh, so at 19, <laughs> uh, after about a year and a half of trying to figure this out, I, uh, I quit school and I did possibly the worst thing possible. Uh, for there, if there's any, if there's any high school uh, people listening, or if there's any college kids listening, uh, you may want to turn this off. Parents may want to turn this off because it was a complete disaster of what happened to me. Um, at 19, uh, my my, at the the fall semester of my fresh of my sophomore year, I decided to pull all my credits at the last possible second. Uh, what that meant was I preserved all my grades for my freshman year, right? Nice. Uh, all the classes that I was failing, I dropped. And because I waited till the last day, 
um, the bills were already paid. So my parents didn't see it. They couldn't kick me out of the campus dorm because that was more than halfway through the semester. So for the last three, four weeks of the semester, maybe it was about four weeks of the semester, I, I lived my best life on campus and it was party, um, party, party, party. Did your parents know that you had done this? No. <laughs> so I come home and uh, they're like, so, um, you know, they, they suspected that something wasn't right. I wasn't, whatever, the, their parents, this is what Chris they did. looks a bit hungover. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Chris had his hair down to, you know, grew his hair out. And uh, my dad was not a big fan of the long hair at the time. And uh, you look at you, you know, you, you, what, what, what's, what's, what's this? You're not clean cut anymore. You're kind of like, yeah, I never see you bring, you come home on weekends only to do laundry. I never see a book. I never hear you talk about school. Uh, I said that, well, he goes, um, you know, I, I, I did okay, Dad. He goes, well, we'll see when the report card comes. And that's when I said, uh, there won't be a report card. As a matter of fact, I quit school and I haven't told you guys. Um, so I go to one of my fraternity brothers, uh, Dave, and uh, he was a great guy. Um, and I said to him, I said, Dave, I'm looking for an internship. And I know you, you know, you have connections with, uh, with the New York Giants. Um, can you get me an interview? And Dave sat me down and goes, Hey man, I'm all about you doing this, but you need to take this serious. I said, have you not seen what I've been doing the past two years, man? Like the Chris that came into this fraternity and what I am now is two different things. Mm -hmm. And he said, all right, I believe you. I'll trust you. He gave me an opportunity, got me an interview with the New York Giants and I got my internship. Justin, what I've come to the conclusion when it comes to what you need and what you never need. You never ask, you give. The yeah. more you give, the more it works, mm -hmm. uh, the better it works. Uh, the more opportunities I can put in front of somebody, the more advice I can help people with. Um, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. At some point, right, um, you get to a point in your career where you wanna be able to help, right? Uh, I've reached that point numerous times. And whether it's, you know, right now we have somebody, we have a high school kid who joins our EV Happy Hours. Um, he found me through Instagram. He joins in, he's part of the AV club at school. Like he runs AV at, at high school. He's now an AV technologist because he took the course from Infocom. He's looking to do a CTS before he graduates high school, right? I've connected him to people within school. Like this is like, I'm not sitting here and I'm not going to take this and, and, and hang a, you know, an award for doing that. That's kind of... It, I just think it's, it's part of me. It's what I need to do. It's, it's, it's expected at this point. I carry a responsibility. So Tom, start me off. Where did it all begin for you? You know, um, what gave you your fascination of audiovisual and how did you start about going down this what, career path? <laughs> I'll call it a career path. Well, and when I've done classes and stuff in the past, you know, we could do introductions and stuff and, and what you find, and it's true of me as well, a lot of us just fall into this industry by accident. Everyone does. Yeah, it's not, you know, in, in high school or something like that, you know, I wanna grow up and be an AV person. <laughs> That's just not something that anybody thinks about. Um, as a little background, I'm originally from the Washington DC area, okay. but in the 80s, I was down in the, in the Dallas, Texas area going to school. Mm -hmm. And you had to do some campus work of some sort, and I'd been doing off-campus stuff. Last couple semesters were getting busy. 
And literally the thought process was no more complicated than this. I think I can hear pretty well, so let's try audio. Okay. So I actually joined the audio ministry. And the reason I did that is I felt like I could pick out sounds and what they were fairly well. And I could hear that 15.75 kilohertz from, a, from the old CRT, mm -hmm. your horizontal frequency. Right. You know, so if I walked into a room, I could tell whether the television was on or whether or not I could see the television. So I, I didn't know at the time I could hear 16K. I didn't know the, the technical part of that. Um, so I joined the audio ministry, and the first thing I learned how to do was how to over and under wrap a 50-foot mic cable. For a young person that's thinking of entering the world of audiovisual, what tips or advice could you give them? Mm. Um, funny enough, and get an I get a IT background. Mm. So get your feet wet in IT. One of the things, the differences between AV and IT, with IT they have rules, they have standards, right? Mm. With AV, we just throw all this crazy stuff that was never meant to work together, and we hook it all up, and it's all like the wild, wild west. But still need to learn the technology. That's the IT part of it, okay? Learn your IT. But learn about content. What does it sound like? What do you need to be able to see it? And learn about the space, the acoustics part of it. You know, you, you may, not, may not want to be a full-blown acoustician. I mean, I, I find acousticians are amazingly smart people. But learn about the space learn about the content, learn how the eyes and ears work, learn about shapes and sizes. It's interesting, that, that you call that information IT. Well, mm -hmm. it's information technology, but that I still consider what those couple of things that you listed off as the audio visual ends of. Yeah, well, what I mean by that is basically learn how to move content through a switch. Yes, yes. A okay. standard off-the-shelf Ethernet switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I kind of that to me, a personal opinion here. You know, we've had our proprietary matrix switchers, and if you're doing just a one-room solution, all that's fine. But beyond just a one-room solution, again, this is me. I see that proprietary AV matrix switch being replaced by a standard off-the-shelf Ethernet switch. Oh, well, it's already there. Tom. It is, but it's not, it's not everywhere. Mm. It's there, you know, and you all oh, back in the day, you would start an AV design and you would use a whatever Tron switch that you want to use. You know, that was at the heart of your system. And that was like every system you ever did. Now, every system that you do at the heart by default, without any other consideration, is going to be an off-the-shelf Ethernet switch. Yes, yes, it's true. Last episode, we had Tom Kerr on our program, um, formerly from Eviction. Now, we, did, we were aware that uh, Tom was looking at a job, and it's been announced. So congratulations to Tom. We've got to give him a round of applause there. But we're going to continue on our series here. And I've got another, I, I hate to say former employee of Evixa, but... Um, He's going to tell a story. He's under the spotlight. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us on the Old Teens Techie podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start off. Wait, the way I ask all our under the spotlight guests is, where did it all begin? 
like as Tom says, you don't just wake up one day and go, I want to be an audiovisual technician. Yeah, it really wasn't on like a list of jobs that they advertised back in uh, school. Um, I actually kind of got started uh, when I was in the military. Uh, back in 1996, uh, I was in Bosnia and I was actually running a, vi a video conference unit out of a tent working 12 hours a day, seven days a week for six months. And it that was my first Skype, was it? On. it wasn't Skype. <laughs> no, no. It, we had actually an AMX system. Okay. It, we had a big a monitor. We had a document camera. And it was, we, I think we did all of four calls a week. Wow. And I worked from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., seven days a week. So, I mean, I could talk about 9-11. Um, well, I was actually on a project site in, uh, right, right in D.C. And we had no clue what was going on. We're just working. All of a sudden, air raid sirens start going off, and we're like, and we're just kind of like, what the heck? And a friend called me like, we're under attack. I'm like, what? And we leave, and our office like, yes, go home. There's been um, these planes attacks. I lived an hour away, and after driving for four hours, I was only halfway home. Wow. Just for my office to say, come back to the office. It's grand. Everything. Turned around and drove another three hours back to the office and finally found out what happened. Wow. And it was like, oh, wow. Oh, oh my God. And they're like, yeah, just uh, go to the job site tomorrow. And my office was literally right next to the Pentagon. So that was a little bit of a weird day. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised anyone worked the next day in well, it was because we, again, we had a contract to get the job done and we had three days to finish it. And oh. it was, let's just knock it out. We only had a little bit left. So like, let's just knock it out so we can not have to think about it. We can focus on what's going on in the world. I haven't met too many people that regretted going into the AV industry. Yeah. Um, there's so many different facets. Just stick with it. And we are we are a strong family that support one another through the, through the tough oh, yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. Like I know, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you're learning that at the moment, Marcus. Well, I've I've known that for a while. Um, Scott Wills, he was our, the Evix's director of international uh, membership and all that, mm -hmm. was my original trainer back in 2000 wow. to get my CTS. Yeah. Um, and like when I first started Evix, like 15 years later, I was like, oh my god, you were my instructor. He's like, cool. <laughs> he didn't remember because it was 15 years ago and the, again the class was like three days and i didn't keep up with anybody i just remembered his voice yeah, yeah. it was like i know that voice <laughs> um but you uh, yeah after a while you kind of i like i've run into a couple he was like oh i was in your class and i was like okay you look really familiar before we start off want to do a big shout out to a good friend and uh, I can call him colleague now because uh, we both work for the Higher Ed AV Media Group and uh, Joe Way. I was talking to Joe literally on the night, well, daytime for him, um, about two or three days ago. And an electrical fire, I believe, in his garage at his house and total wipeout. Look at this photo. The AV community has come together and put a GoFundMe page up for Joe Thankfully, he was able to rescue Christmas. Well, his wife apparently was able to rescue Christmas. He was at home when, when all this happened. No one was hurt. Thank God no one's hurt. Big flames. But the house is in a bit of a state of repair. And so far, there's been over seven 
and a half thousand dollars raised for Joe. Welcome along to episode 44, guys. Churning out these episodes. Hope you are keeping well. Thanks to everyone that voted for me in the AV Nation Reader's Choice Awards for 2020. Don't know what the results are yet. They will be out on the 8th of February, two days time. It uh, was an absolute honour to be pitched against Chris in the finals. Chris Neto in the finals, who does so much for the AV industry. But if you voted for me, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we'll find out what the winner is in the next two days or so. So going to put it out of my mind. Going to have a great episode here. We have for episode 44, we are talking to some new, well, not new, but some AV professionals that are in the Irish AV industry. Tomás McKeown, uh, McOwen rather, you would know from the McKeown group if you uh, have dealings with AV professionals in Ireland. So there's a McKeown Technologies, then they became Hearworks. And Tomás joined me under the spotlight to tell me how he got involved with the audiovisual industry and how the Hearworks was set up. Episode 44 of the All Things Techie podcast. Lead me through the story. Where did you first begin in the world of audiovisual? Or was it always like we, some people hear the McKeown Group and say that it's engineering. So is it an yeah. engineering background for yourself? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can start even further back. So I suppose McKeown Group um, originated in 1950, actually family companies with my, my grandfather. Um, so purely as a building contractor um, and a main contractor all through the years. And my father took over in uh, 79. And, um, and then I suppose we, I grew up, I grew up with my own group, uh, of course, was never allowed to sit still, whatever. Um, but I studied actually telecommunications engineering in DCU, which is sort of the division of the electronic engineering um, degree in there. And I always had a grow for all things network and all all things wireless um so i fell into uh, i fell into ma mainly rf engineering and um, okay. so i would have done uh, a lot with uh, uh internet service providers over the year years um i founded uh, uh founded one called life broadband back in back actually in college and we spun it up out of college and um, sold out of that in 2006 and at that stage um we were looking at setting up something new and uh we decided to set it up within McKeown Group, um, and that's when, I suppose, at the time it was called McKeown Technology was born. Uh, well, it yeah. spun, actually spun through a couple of names, it was Keel Telecommunications, um, and we were primarily looking at the telecoms end, end of things. Within about a year, we fell into the audiovisual automation. So by 2008, um, we, we, I suppose, the, the audiovisual division, I suppose, as, as it's now become, uh, was born. and. Yeah, we started small. It was myself, myself, uh, myself and Michael, and then a crew from there. Um, and I suppose since since about 2013, we we expanded pretty rapidly. So um, in and exactly for for the reasons you said there, um, you know, people confuse the brand and say, well, McKeown's are they, are they the builders? Um, in the noughties as well, around the same time as we set, set up HearWorks, we uh, we set up a mechanical and electrical division. So they all work independently within the Group. Um, and then in November 2019, which seems like yesterday in one way, but actually uh, a year and a half ago, we decided to rebrand and that's where Hearworks was born. 
And it was basically, the, I suppose, the main reason was that I suppose the technology division of McDonald's had grown so so much um, that it, even in our marketing materials, it was very hard to have one LinkedIn site or one uh, you know Twitter feed or whatever and talk about the two brands. You can talk about technology all day, um, but it's a very different audience to to the kind of tried and trusted um, uh, you know seventy year old brand that is McYoung Group. Absolutely, it was about time that it needed to yeah. it, its breakaway and and freedom from the McKeown Group. And and we actually the other one the other reasons was we changed the name um, because we were at one stage we were just saying well let's just call it McKeown Technology and create a new website and new whatever. But uh, we started doing a lot of work um, outside of Ireland and uh, people outside of Ireland can't pronounce uh, McKeown, so we get McKeown. Yeah, I, I, I imagine even the Mac Owen and, and stuff like that from, from yeah. your name. And <laughs> Under the spotlight this month is Kevin Moore. Who's Kevin Moore? I'm sure you know the name. Uh, Kevin Moore retired in 2000. He is the Director of Creative Technology Ireland, CT Ireland, the Irish Division of the International Creative Technology Group until his retirement at the end of 2020. CT Ireland was formerly Ion Solutions and is Ireland's premier supplier of broadcast and professional AV systems, live event technical production services, and provision of managed services, and employs a total of 70 plus people in the group in Ireland. Among other achievements, Kevin was a key part of the team that was awarded the, an IBC Innovation Award at the 2013 IBC convention with their client RTE and technology partner TMD for the FAST project at RTE to provide file-based ingest and transmission facilities for the Irish National Broadcaster. Well, Kevin did retire in 2020, at the end of 2020, as we hit into another lockdown in Ireland. And he said he just wanted to get a couple of files in order uh, until I nailed him down at the beginning of February and asked him, when are we doing this uh, under the spotlight? And do you know what? It was a great conversation. Kevin and I could have stayed on a Zoom call all night long talking about tech and his stories and everything that's going on. But I have edited the podcast and uh, won't name the names of people that came up in the podcast because we did talk off mic for a long time afterwards. Kevin is under the spotlight in episode 45 of the All Things Techie podcast. Have a listen. I've been meaning to try and get hold of you for quite some time, especially when I've been at some of your road shows and just know that you have a background in audiovisual that spans decades. I hate to say it, but Kevin is the first interviewee that we've had on the programme that is actually a retired uh, AV professional now. So some Kevin, of us would say escaped. Escaped the madness. Where did it all begin, Kevin? I um I, I always had a, a love of electronics, um, even as a kid. And so when I finished school, I went to Carlo uh, Regional Tech, as it was at the time, way before the uh, Institutes of Technology, and I did electronic engineering. So didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I kind of liked the idea of being a cameraman, although I knew nothing about what that entailed. But, you know, there are 
1970-something, not too many jobs and cameramen around. So anyway, I, I saw a job advertised as a junior language lab technician with a company called AEL, who were a Belfast-based company. And so I applied for that and got the job. So my first gig was actually servicing language laboratories in uh, in colleges, Trinity and Carlo and UCD, in fact, your, your place and many others, Tanberg Language Labs, as they were at the time. And then the company were also involved. They were the Sony dealer at the time for Sony Video. And so uh, I kind of liked the look at that. That looked very much aligned with what I did. So started playing around with the machines. They moved me into hire, did that for a bit. Then they moved me into sales and did that for the rest of my life, really, after that. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And, and, you know, I just seemed to have an aptitude for it. And I loved it. I mean, video, it was so exciting. It was so exotic, you know. Uh, and I, I lapped up everything there was to do, to do with that. For for people entering the AV circle, what do you think is important in the educational aspect? What would you, what path would you lead them down? Uh, for 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 us delivering education to them, training, you know, in other words, or what they need coming into us. You mean? So it's coming coming into you. Coming in. I, well, okay. There's a couple of things. I think. Um, I'd really like to see the, the colleges in general who are specializing in those courses, um, putting a little more energy into fundamentals of signals. I, I think, you know, you know this and, and most of our team know this, as, and was, I referenced it a while ago, you know, audio, what, what is audio? What, it's not just some mythical thing that lives on an MP3, you know, it's a waveform. How is it made up? What are harmonics? What is, you know, all these kind of issues that, that people aren't taught. The same with, same with video signals. I'm not saying that they need to get down to, you know, one jaw peak peak baseband video anymore, but they should understand what is happening with a video signal? When is a video picture overexposed or underexposed? How do you compensate for exposure? You know, the, the fundamentals of, of light that photographers learn, for instance. So I think some of that, but I think they also need to be, I suppose, taught coming in. Uh, it's a tough game. It's a tough game in the early years. And when you come in as a junior technician in whatever arena, um, you're going to be working very hard for a couple of years with pretty much no nightlife, <laughs> no weekend life, <laughs> you know, and, and get over it because that's the industry you're in. Um, and and uh, if you can, if you can come into it with that passion, then then it's the most rewarding thing you could possibly have. We are on episode 46 of the All Things Techie podcast. We finally have found Simon Lang. He's, he's at a high rise tower across. Is that Dublin City? No, it looks like it's San Francisco. For sure. San I'm Francisco? definitely the, I think it's San Francisco. I'm the furthest you could get from, oh, oh maybe. Don't know. Anyway, not in Ireland. But it's not in Ireland, but he, 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 is, he is in Ireland. He's not, he's not broken his quarantine limit. He hasn't taken, a, he hasn't been given a vaccine yet, Simon. No, definitely no, you're not. not. You're not, you're not. And... I, yeah, I and discovered with, I had a look at the priority list the other day and woohoo, I realized I can move one level up due to the company I work for is an entertainment company, which is one step higher than the second last level that I was originally on. You know, I didn't even know you could actually look up this type of stuff. So you can sort of get, try and guesstimate when you're going to. Um, yeah, because actually, to be honest, I actually looked up for you too because you actually fall in the same category as me is third level institutions and entertainment are in the same category. We are still in level five lockdown. By the time this uh, show airs, we might know 
are we allowed to even go a bit further than a five kilometre radius outdoors, apparently, which might be extended, as the newspaper reports today say, to 10 kilometres. Woo! Which 90% of people in Ireland are probably breaking at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. So um, I'm Managing Director of CT Ireland. Um, we were acquired by um, NEP um, probably, what, two years ago now, just over two years ago. And we're, we're part of the NEP group. Um, Alan Burns is, is, is NEP and has been part of that family for a little bit longer. So where did this come from? This came from a number of discussions that the likes of myself and Alan have had over the years about the difficulty in getting people into the industry, people arriving in the industry, perhaps, you know, not really, you know, ready for the type of work and the type of industry that we are. And we looked at colleges and we, Alan had previously run, and you'll talk about a, a similar scheme to this in the broadcast side um, when it was observed. And we sat down and spoke about it and we decided, okay, we've got two companies here um, that probably employ close to 200 people in, the, in Ireland. Um, Alan has the broadcast side of his business, you know, the OB trucks, um, and we have the live events side and the systems integration side and managed services. And the concept was that we would we would work together. We're all part of the NEP family and we would produce a graduate program um, to bring people into the industry. Um, and we would take them through both companies over a period of two years. And they'll they'll do a quarter in CT and then they'll do a quarter in NEP and, we, and we'll rotate them through the system like that. Um, we'll give them the Avixa qualifications. We're working with Avixa um, on the broadcast side. Alan will put them through the NEP University. Um, online training programs and the long the goal I suppose is really that at the end of that period you know we'd like to think that we will we will retain these people um, and that they'll be they'll be trained and that they'll have some real hands-on experience in the industry so that that's kind of where it came from. Now I recorded this program with Simon earlier in the week and then it sort of sat in my inbox and I did absolutely nothing with it listeners and then some things have changed. God, a lot of things have changed in the week. So uh, congratulations to Mrs. and Mrs. Lang uh, with the birth of their new baby son. Uh, so <laughs> Benjamin, I can't wait to give you cuddles when I get vaccinated. Really can't wait. Uh, little baby boy, congratulations, Simon and Anne. Before, <laughs> before we recorded uh, this program, Simon was getting everything ready, or he said he was ready. So with episode 48 of the All Things Techie podcast, in the meantime, a new baby's been born. Congratulations to Simon and Anne on the birth of their son. Really healthy baby, healthy mommy, and great to see. And 47, we have to just say 47, what a great episode. I'm talking to Simon's bosses, bosses in plural um, and the new educational courses that they're doing god simon i tell you something if if i was younger and starting off like it's talking to john it's the fact of the matter is you don't need to ha have leaving search big points behind you to go into a course like this it's people that are showing their interest and again we're going to throw up the, mm. the website again the applications are still open that's all we're going to say about it and um best of luck we have no say in the matter of who gets into the placements either just nope. simon so we'll just throw that out but what a great start of something in ireland and making ireland a bit of a tech hub for a learning environment and um, with audiovisual technology 
definitely think that's a big step in the right direction. It, Ireland has been crying out for something like this. And I think we can, well, I, we, I say we, I think CT and um, can, can do that as well. And the NEP group can do something really cool. Um, going forward with that. It's interesting, actually. I was just uh, chatting with my wife about this earlier today because our son uh, just finished uh, his school and he's going through the interview process. And we were talking about the differences in hers and my career. Hers was pretty um, prescribed. She got a degree in accounting and business administration. She got a job as an accountant, then she got promoted to a controller. Uh, uh, my pathway into Avixo is far more circuitous than that type of a pathway. Um, my degree is actually in international politics. Um, it's not the uh, weirdest one I've heard because Mark Coxon <laughs> told me that he studied study veterinary and how <laughs> you end up from being a vet to, to doing AB. I think it has to be the most bizarre one. If you had advice for anyone that's entering into the AB industry, and this is my final question, if you had advice, I know we've come to a pandemic, what, what advice would you give someone that's thinking AB is their area of of trade pay attention to the art and the science the the magic of our industry is the marriage of the two and not not either or on its own um and 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 then recognize in fact that that is magic and it is valuable um i think i don't know why i think maybe because half of the people in our industry are failed rock musicians or failed musicians but there's this this sense of humility within our industry that at one hand is what i love about our industry because it's really hard to um, build a career in our industry there isn't an ascribed path where you you know, have trade position one that turns into trade position two. You have to find your way through this industry and find a path and develop skills in an unstructured way. And so I think in some ways we weed out people that don't have heart that are in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, but then we, we just have this sense of almost apology that, you know, we're not musicians and we're not IT. Um, and don't recognize that by virtue of being part of both of those, we are, we are uniquely qualified to deliver value in virtually every marketplace. There you have it, listeners. The All Things Techie Podcast, episode 50. Look back on all the past three years of our podcast. Plenty, plenty more to come. Don't forget to like, comment, and share this podcast tell all your friends about it it's audiovisual and technology from an irish perspective we'll see you in episode 51 goodbye